And if you want to grab a Bible in front of you or turn to the one that you brought in Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. We're going to read from this portion of Scripture. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Let's stand together as I read this, can we? Genesis 15, 1 to 6. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, that's funny, my vision is not so great as I look down at this small print. Uh, The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir. You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. I was in sixth grade, and I went with a a group from my school to Washington, D.C. Did anybody go to Washington, D.C. as a kid? Yeah, some of you did that. And uh, you remember probably the same tours that I did. Man, this microphone is dancing around on me. I need to adjust me, Max, up or down. Um, you remember the, the same tours, perhaps, that, that I did, you went on, and, and I, some of the, the, the monuments, I remember standing in front of some of those monuments and just being in awe of, of what it was that I was seeing, and, and going to the, the White House, and, and going to just all the different places where government was taking place, and, and just thinking about the magnitude of of, uh, of what was happening in that place, and thinking about some of the people that maybe hadn't done work there, maybe they'd been in Philadelphia or some other place, but had contributed to the, to the, to the running of our nation and just the significance of that moment. And, and it's funny because when you look back, you recognize that as a sixth grader, you probably didn't really take it all in. You're just kind of like, wow, that monument is big. And, and it's only looking back that you think about the significance of who that person was and, and what it was that the, that the people were thinking as they, as they established that monument to that person. And, and you just kind of have this sense now, as I, even as I think back, and some of you who have been there, and you know, as you think about just all the, the, the foundations of our country and all the things that went into that and how significant it is and it was to, to, to be mindful of that. And, and you almost have a sense that you're walking in this, almost this sacred ground in a sense, uh, in a nationalistic sense, in a civil sense anyway, that this is, this is really special territory. And, and, and the people who contributed to 
the significance of this place were really, really significant people. I've been thinking about this because of this series that we're going to enter into for a few weeks that we're calling the Founding Fathers. And as you think about some of the people that, uh, that walked those spaces, Philadelphia and Washington and, and those early colonies, uh, and the significance that they, that they were, they really are American icons. Now their faces are on our, our dollar bills and on our, our coins, and they're the subject of these monuments. And we, we really, we live our lives, if you think about it, we live our daily lives in a world where their ideas helped, that their ideas helped to create. A lot of the things that we just take for granted were things that these founding fathers pounded out in those days. Men like George Washington and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and a little history lesson for you, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, James Monroe, Benjamin Franklin, of course. These are just some of the names. And if you're in sixth grade or eighth grade or uh, is it 11th grade where you take American history again? You, uh, uh, a, a push, that's what it's called? Yes. Um, good job. You know these names. These were the leaders of the American Revolution. These were the, the framers, the, the signers of the Declaration of Independence, the framers of the American uh, Constitution. Uh, these were those who served in these important positions in the early government of the United States. And these were those who, along with uh, several others, structured this idea of American democracy and left a legacy that shaped the world. Now, Danny just preached on nationalism just a few weeks ago, and you're probably thinking, what in the world is going on here with this U.S. history lesson? Well, it's this idea of founding fathers. It emerged in the 1820s as those founding fathers were beginning to die out. This concept of thinking about those early fathers really began to, 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 take, to take hold uh, one historian says that the founding fathers, he says it like this, they comprised an aggregate of semi-sacred figures whose particular accomplishments and singular achievements were decidedly less important than their sheer presence as a powerful but faceless symbol of past greatness. These founding fathers were great. They were important uh, a generation of national leaders came after them, men like Andrew Jackson and Daniel Webster, but they found uh, they, they represented a heroic but anonymous abstraction whose long shadow these founding fathers fell over all who would follow after them. One of the, one of the guys who followed after them, Daniel Webster, he, he said this, and I think I have this on the screen. I thought this uh, quote was pretty striking. He said, we can win no laurels in a war for independence. Earlier and worthier hands have gathered them all. Nor are there places for us as the founders of states. Our fathers have filled them. But there remains to us a great duty of defense and preservation. That last line there, there remains to us a great duty of defense and preservation st stuck with me. This great duty of defense and preservation remains for all of our national and local 
political leaders, really for all Americans still today. We're grateful for the freedoms that we enjoy. We're grateful for the system that we have. Uh, it isn't perfect by any means, but as we look around the world today, uh, we, we can say with gratitude that, that we're thankful for this, this system that we have. And, and we're grateful for those. We owe a debt to those who hammered out all the details from the start. And we recognize that we have a responsibility to defend and to preserve this method of government. In a little over a week, on July 4th, we'll again take the day off from work, perhaps some of us, and we'll grill some hamburgers and some hot dogs. Maybe we'll go to a baseball game. Maybe we'll gather together with friends and family. Maybe we'll go to the beach or to the park, and we'll end the day with a fireworks show and a rousing rendition of Lee Greenwood's, and I'm proud to be an American, right? I mean, it's not the 4th of July without Lee Greenwood. How did we do 4th of July before I'm proud to be an American? Hopefully, somewhere in there, we will consider those whose efforts and whose sacrifice made and make our independence possible. All that, though, to say this. It seems to me that during this season of the year, this week before and during and after July 4th, as we think about our nation's independence, and as we celebrate truly the freedoms that we enjoy as a nation, giving thanks to those who have given leadership to the United States of America from its earliest days as a, as a nation, and especially as I thought back months ago and thinking about this series, especially as we, I, I couldn't think of the right word, endure this season of uh, campaigning and presidential election, and, and I believe the, the, the national conventions are nearing their beginning here uh, in, in not too long. As we endure this, this season, bringing uh, even more drama to this moment, I felt it was important for us to sort of ground ourselves as, as the church in all of this. By taking a few weeks here to remember a different set of founding fathers. Now it's not Abraham, or now it's not George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. George and John and Thomas and Alexander and Benjamin did a great job of starting a nation, but they're not the ones, contrary to some public opinion, that the people of God look to for the historical origins of our faith. We have a different set of, of founding fathers. We look not to the history books, but to the scriptures. Not to the 18th century, but to somewhere around 1800 B.C., way back. Not to framers of a constitution, but to participants in a covenant. And so we're talking about these founding fathers, the patriarchs of faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three great ancestors of the nation of Israel, who most likely lived sometime there between that 1900 and 1500 B.C. window. Scholars are divided on that. And whose stories are told 
uh, in the book of Genesis, chapters 12 up to about 37, where Joseph comes into the picture. Sometimes more names are added to that list of patriarchs. We have not only Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but we sometimes have Joseph and Moses and David as well. But it's historically these three who are claimed by both Judaism and Christianity as the original architects of our faith. Those whose character and those whose actions have helped to give shape to these religious traditions and systems of belief and have left a legacy that have influenced the people of God in every generation from that point on. There remains for people of faith today then, for each of us, I would submit to us, a responsibility to defend and preserve who the patriarchs were. A great duty of of defense and preservation of who these men were and what they said and what they did. We must ask ourselves in every generation, what can we learn from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What can we what can we, how can we pattern our lives after these ancestors of faith? What did their decisions, what did their attitudes, their obedience, what does it teach us about what it means to live for God in our own day and in our own age? What is their enduring legacy for us today? Well, it all starts with Abraham. And many of you are familiar with Abraham's story. Genesis chapter 12 We hear him being called by God, along with his wife, Sarah, to to leave the land that they knew. They were known as Abram and Sarai at that point. They leave their native country, leave their family, leave their friends, leave all that was known, leave all that was comfortable to them, and, and move out to a place where God would show them. God had promised to make Abraham a great nation. God had promised to to bless him, and and not only to bless him, but to bless the world through him. This is an amazing promise of God. And we're told that right from the start, Abraham departed just as he was told to do. That right from the beginning, uh, Abraham demonstrates this obedient trust in the promises of God, even in the face of discouragement, even in the face of 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 the unknown, when it looked like there was no way that promises could come true. Abraham was clearly a man of God, but we remember that he was called by God. But we also remember that in his life, he was by no means a perfect man of God. His faithful obedience didn't always come easy. Some of us remember stories, perhaps, from his life, when in sort of sticky situations with his wife, Sarah, he He lied about his relationship with her so as to kind of save his own skin with the pharaoh and with a a king. We're mindful even of when Abraham uh, and and Sarah, in viewing the situation and thinking that that a, a child was not to be born, Abraham took Sarah's servant girl, Hagar, as his wife in order to have a child with her. Even in the midst of these decisions, even in these difficult circumstances of life and less than ideal choices, Abraham demonstrated for all those who would follow what it looks like to remain 
under submission to God's authority. For Abraham, as for us, every failure was an opportunity to renew his trust and confidence in God. Every obstacle, an opportunity to learn and to grow. The passage that we've looked at in Genesis 15 is just one of these, one of these great opportunities. One commentator has called this probably the most important chapter of this entire collection of Abraham's stories. God comes to Abraham, telling him not to be afraid, that he would protect him, that he would provide for him, that his reward would be great. It's as if God anticipated exactly how Abraham was feeling. Don't be afraid, he said. Don't, don't fear. It turns out that these words of encouragement were just what Abraham needed because, in fact, he was very afraid. He was very fearful that God's promises were not coming true. After all that they had been to, through together to this point, still Abraham, who had been promised to be the father of a great nation, did not have a son. No son had been born. And if he didn't have a son, how could God give him land to, uh, that could be passed on throughout his family? As it stood, as we read, one of his servants would inherit all of his, his wealth, a reality that seemed far from the original plan to Abraham. And so here stands Abraham, face to face with God, despairing, discouraged. But God would not leave him there. And he again promises Abraham that he would have a son, and he would have an heir. That he would invite him to take, and he invited him to take a glance at the sky as a great reminder. God will be God, he seems to be saying to Abraham. The same God he, who makes the stars beyond number can also make a son for this barren family. And then in verse 6, in a statement that has reverberated throughout the generations into the New Testament, into the days of the Reformation, into our own hearts today, we read that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham, in the end, did believe in the promise maker. The stars had reminded him of the power of God at work in the world and in his life. And God himself had broken through to him once again with this gift of faith. This faith credited him as righteousness. Designated, he is as one well-pleasing in God's sight, trusting God's future and living assured of that future, even in the present. Well, there's so much that we can hold on to from the scene. And uh, from all of Abraham's life, really, it's so hard to, to, to just kind of speak about this man on one Sunday, but there's so much to, to hold on to from his life, so much from his legacy that, that we need to defend again and to preserve. Let me just highlight a couple of areas that we, that we dare not miss from this story that we've read and that carry on his legacy so powerfully to us today. The, the first is this idea, the legacy of a personal relationship. The legacy of a personal relationship. And now we're talking about this, this relationship that, that Abraham experienced with his, the one who had created him, the one who had called him. 
the one who had sustained him, and the one who even now came to be near to him in his moments of despair. I think a lot of times maybe we think of the idea of personal relationship as sort of a recent notion. Like this is just something that came on the scene with the New Testament, something that came on the scene with Jesus, something that came on the scene with this idea of, of, of Jesus uh, making a way for us to, to be in relationship with God. But it is a part of our earliest documents. One writer put it, God shows up to the patriarchs. God responds to the appeals of his servant Abraham. God interacts with the patriarchs with a frequency and intensity that strikes the modern reader as strange. We, if we've read these stories before, maybe we don't think it's strange, but if we're reading for the first time, here's Abraham and God just having a, a vibrant, lively conversation. It isn't Abraham now just this passive recipient of the blessings of God or the discussion of God, the mandates of God, but it's Abraham living into this relationship with, with the one who had called him. The legacy of a personal relationship. To know God and to be known by him. It's the Lord who takes the initiative. We always remember that it's the Lord who takes this initiative in, in reaching to us. He comes to Abraham. It's God who had called him. It was God who was coming to him. It's God who's telling him in the midst of a discouraging time not to be afraid. He's reminding him of his promises, reminding him of his protection and his provision. But we also see that God allowed Abraham to be himself, not only to know God, but to be known by God in, in his fear, in his despair. Again, Abraham is here, an active agent in this relationship, questioning Doubting even, venting. Have any of you vented to God recently? <laughs> even challenging God. Is this why you brought me out here? Is this why we came this far so that my servant could be my heir? And the interaction opens our eyes to what God desires and what he wants for his people even today. He wants to show up, I believe, not just to the patriarchs, but he wants to show up to his people even today. He wants to come to us to take the initiative to, to, to get the jump on our fear and our insecurity and our doubt by showing himself to us, proving himself to us, making himself available to us. He longs to respond to the appeals of, of his people. And so we call on him we ask of him. We express our doubts and our fears. We even vent our greatest frustrations to him. He knows us, and we know him. We are invited to live in this personal relationship that Abraham has so beautifully left us a legacy of. Many here can remember when your relationship with God became personal. Can you remember that, that moment? Can you remember that season, perhaps, in your life when, when it moved from this sort of head knowledge to, to heart knowledge? 
When your relationship with God moved from just reading about him or words on the page or what somebody else was telling you about him to to a personal hold on your heart, a personal hold on your life. A bunch of our kids are going to camp this week, and uh, it's going to be a great time, undoubtedly, for those who are able to go. And uh, I don't know, show of hands, kids, who's, who's headed to camp this week? All right, a bunch of you guys. Going to be a great time. I remember at, a, at another camp, when I was in eighth grade this time, hearing lots of good stories from my childhood, but eighth grade this time, and at the end of the camp, I had, I had invited Jesus into my heart previous to this time without a doubt. I, I remember that for sure. It was personal to some extent, but I remember this time at the end of this camp as we all received the Lord's Supper together. The whole camp, full of kids and sponsors, we received the Lord's Supper, took communion. And, and very simply, the, the worship team, which was, you know, kind of a new concept back then, the worship team led us in that rousing chorus, Jesus loves me, <laughs> this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And as we sang that song, and as I received of the bread and the cup, and as I stood in line and stood among and shoulder to shoulder with other students and other adults, something deeply personal happened in my life. God revealed himself in a new way. He he made himself known to me in a new and in a fresh way. I, I got a new understanding, a new insight, a new depth of sense of the depth of his love for me. He, he made himself known to me, and, and I felt like he knew me as well in a new and a powerful way. As I became more and more available to him, he was able to hold me and to fill me and to use me in new and powerful ways. Something beautiful, something powerful happens when we allow our relationship with God to get personal. And, and those of you who raise your hand, I'm praying for you this week that your experience at camp would be more than crazy games, late nights, and lots of noise. It will be that, undoubtedly. But, but my prayer, and, and I, would pr- I would ask that it would be all of our prayers for our students as they, as they go this week, that, that something might happen in that space and in that place where, where a... a new understanding of the personal nature of a relationship with God would be encountered. And I would pray that for each and every one of us around this room today. Some of you can remember it very well. Some of you, when I speak of that idea, it's a bit of a foreign concept. The idea that that this relationship could be as personal as Abraham demonstrates for us, that we could talk to God in that way and that God could offer of himself to us in that way. It just seems still like ancient literature. Now I'm praying that each of us would walk in the footsteps of Abraham, that would, we would live into the legacy of this founding father and allow our relationship with God to become one 
intensely and deeply personal. Well, the second and just perhaps the, the most important lesson that we or anyone can learn from Abraham, we see it in the other patriarchs as well, but mostly in him, is his legacy of faith. His legacy of faith. His confidence in the promises of God. The, the New Testament writers picked up on this and Abraham becomes like, Example number one, just exhibit A of what it looks like to live a life of faith, according to the New Testament writers. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans these words, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Paul uses Abraham to make this argument that it isn't what we do that makes us acceptable. It's our faith that we receive through the grace of God. And Abraham is that example. The writer of the Hebrews picks up on a similar concept, this similar strain of of Abraham's faith when he writes in that great chapter on faith, Hebrews chapter 11, these words. Let's read them together, can we? It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. It was by faith that Abraham moved. It was by faith that he lived. Abraham willing, even in this brief episode that we've looked at, to stay engaged in the conversation, not to give up on God entirely, but to move forward towards God so that God could impart to him, not by Abraham's knowledge, not by his, his perseverance necessarily, not by his grit or determination, but by God's gift that Abraham could receive this gift of faith and it could take root in his life. This faith doesn't come, again, through knowledge. It comes through God's power. The same power that could create the stars. The same power that could create a, a, a nation from Abraham is a power that is at work to create this this gift of God. It's an amazing gift of God. And we think about this even in the New Testament. The, the, the uh, leader, uh, official who says, I believe to Jesus, but help my unbelief. Asking Jesus for greater gifts of faith. And we think about Peter, even when he makes this great confession of who Jesus is, and Jesus asks him, who told you that? Where did you learn that? And he says, it's by God that you have come to understand this about who I am. For those of us here this morning who maybe, whether it's just with faith in general or with it, whether it's concerning a specific area of our lives, who may be lacking in faith, who may be uncertain about what the future might hold, our greatest invitation is to, is to get close to God. And, and not to kind of move away from him, 
frustrated and upset that that faith is not there, but to move in towards him and invite him and ask him and call upon him, even to give us that gift of faith, for us to have hearts to receive, eyes to see, ears to hear, when it is that God is giving us this faith. Also, this legacy of faith, as I thought about it from Abraham, this gift of faith that enables us to be accepted before God. This legacy of faith for the church really is that just as Abraham was known on into the New Testament and on into our day, that we as people and we as a church even might be ones who become known for our great faith. Will we be like Abraham? Occasionally stumbling, occasionally making a wrong decision, occasionally leaning into our own wisdom, our own insight? Likely, yes. But can we use each of those opportunities, each of those moments of failure, each of those obstacles as an opportunity to to, to reinvest and to grow stronger in our faith, I believe that we can as well. There's lots of things that, we've talked about this before, there's lots of things that, that we can be known of as, as a church and as people in general. There's lots of things that sort of feed into our reputation. We've talked about that church with an, with an awesome worship band and worship team members. I've had a number of people telling me recently just what a effective ministry you have among us. Thank you for that. We can be known as we have for a lot of years as a friendly church. Every time I hear that, I have no idea what that means. So I always put in quotes. Um, I'm always more concerned with us being friends than just being friendly, by the way. A little side note there. We could be known for having a great youth group. We could be known for having a wonderful Monday night ministry that, that we do. We could be known for having great small groups. We could be known for a number of things. But what if years, decades, even centuries, should the Lord tarry, people would look back on Coast Community Church of the Nazarene and on some of us who were a part of it in this era of our existence and, and say, wow, those people, They had great faith. Things didn't look so good for them all the time. There were challenges before them as individual people and as a church. There were were reasons why it would have been easy for them just to throw in the towel and give up on the whole thing or just kind of resign themselves to a certain way. Slave will be my heir, a certain reality of life and just kind of accept it and move on with that reality. Those people, they just kept believing. They just kept looking for God to move in their lives and in their church in ways that they knew he had promised, in ways that they knew he wanted for them. They just kept believing it. They just kept living into it. They wouldn't take no for an answer, and even in their fear, and even in their despair perhaps at times, they kept believing. What would it be like to be known for our faith? Thank you, Abraham, for that great legacy. Text of Genesis 15 
It asks whether Abraham can, in fact, trust God. And it asks if, in fact, God can be trusted. Can we have this same kind of faith in the midst of whatever situation we face today? This, this last week, Kyla's uncle came to visit us. Some of you have met Uncle Lowell before. And uh, Lowell's from Alaska. And uh, some of you know that, that Kyla's parents have both passed away now. Her mom passed away while she was in college and her dad just a year ago. Hadn't really had much contact with her dad up to that point uh, for the last several years. So Kyla's family ties have been a little loose. Let me put this right here. Over, over the years. But Uncle Lowell, her mom's brother, has been one that has always stayed close. And Uncle Lowell is the one who walked Kyla down the aisle at our wedding. And he's, he's just more, he's grandpa to Katie and Thomas. He's, he's, he's the one that I, <clears throat> you know, get a little nervous around <laughs> when he comes just to make sure I'm taking care of his, his niece the right, the right way. He's, he's just a great guy. And, he, and, and, and Lowell loves their family and loves the, the heritage of their family. And uh, so this last week, he, he showed up with this picture. And uh, it's, I'm, I'm still wondering where we're going to put it. I, I, I really don't know about where it's actually going to hang. Um, maybe, Kyla, I'll leave that to you, Kyla, to figure out. But he showed up with this picture, and it's a picture of, and I had to write their names down, uh, Goldbrand and Albertine Berenson. Do you, know, you understand why I had to write them down? <laughs> Goldbrand and Albertine Berenson. And let me make sure I have this right. Goldbrand and Al- Albertine were um, your grandfather's father's father. So your great-great-grandfather, I believe, if I'm doing the math right there. And Goldbrand and Albertine were from Norway. And uh, I don't know, that's just kind of, can you you all see that? I just think it's the coolest picture. I mean, that is Goldbrand and Albertine, if there was ever a Goldbrand and Albertine. And, uh, and, uh, and, And Lowell was able to share some more just really interesting information about the family. And, and i got to be honest, as I listened to, and Kyla and, and Katie just talked to Lowell just yesterday to, to gather all this information for me. And, and when I got home yesterday afternoon, I was asking Kyla about some of the details. Um, really, I just wanted their names and their relationship. But Kyla just kept going on and on. And she's here, so I'm not talking behind her back. She just filling in more details. And I'm like, honey, I don't need all the information right now. I just need to know, you know, I got a story to tell. But, but the information just kept coming out. And Lowell didn't know this, and so he called his uncle, and he got more information and found out about Albertine and what her last name was and how they came together, and, and, and I got to be honest, I, I, I didn't really, and Brad was here talking last week about how important it is just to show up and listen, and I wasn't really listening. 
And uh, I, I think maybe it was about 15 minutes later, I was sitting down in front of my computer, and Brad's message started to like haunt my heart, and I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. And I began to just think about it a little bit, and, and I went back in to Kyla, and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm really sorry that I didn't listen to more of the story, because well, not because the story is interesting. <laughs> it, it, it is at some level. But because you are so enthusiastic about it. And your enthusiasm, and if you know my wife, you know this to be true, your enthusiasm is just part of who you are. And your excitement about random things is part of what your makeup is and who makes you who you are, and I want to celebrate that. And in being who you are, you're being true to Albertine. And regardless of that picture, I think she got enthusiastic about some things as well. <laughs> and in a very practical and, and real sense, Kyla was just, even in describing about who these people were, was, I believe, living into the legacy of who her family is. And I'd missed that, that whole idea. Until Brad's message in the Holy Spirit convicted me of it. But I'm reminded of that very reality that, that a legacy of personal relationship, a legacy of faith, is what Abraham modeled for us so powerfully as a founding father, a patriarch. And that as followers of God who follow in the footsteps of some of these who have walked before us is what we are invited to lean into as well today. Let's bow our heads together. Worship team, come on up. God, thanks so much for uh, the legacy of Abraham. God, some of us need to attend very closely to the nature of his relationship with you and yours with him. We all who have experienced that give thanks even now for a very personal relationship. And for those who may still be Leaning into that reality, we pray that it would soon come. We thank you for his example of, of faith. God, we pray for open hearts and willing spirits to receive all that you have to give us today. We believe. Help our unbelief. Help us, oh God, to be people who, like Abraham, would become known for our faith. Help us against all odds to believe in your promises. Help us against what we perceive as, as the reality both now and ongoing to, to believe in a new future that you have in mind for us. Help us to become the people really that you've called us to be as we live in the footsteps under the shadow of Abraham, one of our great founding fathers but as we live really under the lordship of Jesus Christ, even today, we give you thanks. Amen.